It's showtime. Don't say it, please. Don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, Show. Thank you so much for being alongside me as we discuss another Kenobi cast. The uh, recaps, breakdowns, reactions to Star Wars, Obi-Wan, Kenobi, Disney Plus television show, part six. The last one, actually, I guess, because, you know, two episodes were released at the same time, then one every week after that. I know it's six parts seems kind of... Not a lot of TV, right? And I mean, there were some really short episodes in there, but uh, I got to say, I'm very pleasantly surprised that in the end, we got a nice long episode, it felt like, and uh, it was a meaty one too, some good stuff. Like, honestly, probably Kenobi ends up being the greatest bridge between the prequels and original trilogy that you could have ever asked for, in my opinion, right? Like, sure. Was the series a little clunky here and there? Yeah, I think so. Is that a result of super fast timelines when it comes to them trying to make this television show? Probably that as well. I don't think it's a budget issue. I think it's more, they were just really rushing to get this out. Pandemic filming probably is not a hundred percent, you know, all the kinks being ironed out. So ultimately what we got in the Kenobi finale is something that I gotta say, I I really liked. Uh, Generally speaking, I'm looking forward to the rest of what we'll get out of the the Star Wars universe as far as TV goes. Sure, Cassie and Andor stuff, eh, I'm a little lukewarm on it, but I mean, could we get more Kenobi in the not-too-distant future? I think we absolutely, absolutely can. So I hope we do, honestly, and Ian McGregor turns in a pretty great performance as Obi-Wan, kind of a a more weathered Obi-Wan. Again, in terms of linking the prequels to the originals, I think he did a great job of showing us the eventual transition to get uh, from the the abraded Padawan Obi-Wan Kenobi that we see in episode one to the long hair, flowy-haired Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode two to the more grizzled end of the Clone Wars Jedi Master we see in episode three to Al Guinness, honestly, to see what we get out of Al Guinness in, in, uh, in episode four. And um, I got to say also that in 10 years from the end of the Kenobi series all the way to the beginning of A New Hope, that he ages to look like he does <laughs> in, uh, in the original Star Wars movie. I mean, I get it, right? Ewan McGregor, Alkin, and so on. But, uh, man, the tattoo, living under two suns must truly age you. Same goes for, uh, for, uh, Owen, uh, Owen Lars and Aunt Beru, right? Uncle, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Those guys get aged harshly <laughs> by the suns. Like, my God, right? In just 10 years. Anyways, uh, that was, I was like, I'll never not think that's funny, essentially, but... Anyways, the series finale or season finale, let's call it for now, of Kenobi, uh, a pretty good one. So let's dive in. Here's the review, the reaction to part six of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I played the clip in one of the uh, earlier reactions, right? The, uh, the clip of Vader saying, when last we met, I was the learner. Now I am the master. And never before was that clearer than in the climactic fight of this episode and of course the whole series. I mean, look, 
you knew we were going to start there, right? I mean, how could we not start there? There's some other stuff with Leia we'll get to, and uh, Luke, Obi-Wan meeting Luke as a, like, a, not as a baby for the very first time. There was some pretty cool stuff in this episode, right? I think it, it sets up pretty well for if they ever wanted to do a second season. Thematically, I really liked basically everything they did from how Obi-Wan confronts Vader on this unnamed planet at the end, right to right through to him leaving his little cave house, right through the last shot of the sh- of the whole the whole season but the fight against Darth Vader first of all it was cool i think we we don't get a lot of cool like cool stuff right it was like stuff you go whoa holy f like that was sick right i think i definitely felt like that when i was watching the fight against vader vader was scary and man that scene where obi-wan collapses the column on vader and then he just basically catches it with the force and then flicks it away like he was swatting a fly. I got to say it was really, really cool. And then, of course, I, again, the th- the themes, the thematic messaging of how they did the fight. First of all, this the lightsaber battle was cool itself. Absolutely. But the way they handled Obi-Wan and Vader attacking each other, right? I mean, you saw... Vader, first of all, Vader gets the high ground for the first time over Obi-Wan and uh, clearly has no idea what to do. So uh, I guess that answers that question as to what would have happened if Anakin had the high ground, apparently completely squander it. But when he collapses, first of all, the force move he uses to collapse the ground and then trap Obi-Wan in that little ditch thing was really cool. But then what does he do? He immediately force grabs a zillion boulders and buries Obi-Wan alive, hoping to crush him, and then he walks away, right? And I got to say, again, that visually looked really cool, but uh, I got to say the the idea that Anakin slash Vader, all he wants to do with the most painful reminder of his past, which is, of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi who made him into the man he is today, all he wants to do is bury his past. That's what he wants to do. He he literally buries it and then walks away, probably hoping that he's, he's going to be able to move on. And he doesn't because Obi-Wan gets out. And of course, he hairs, he hairs the, all the things in, the, in his own past. He breaks free. He, he embraces the light side of the forest. Not that he hadn't before, but he, he gets back to the, the, the stage he was when he was a full-fledged Jedi Knight, Jedi Master in episodes two and three. And uh, here you go, right? So I, I thought that was really cool. Um, the visuals of Obi-Wan pelting Vader with like a gazillion rocks and getting, getting to him after he kind of takes the upper hand in the second half of that fight was really neat. But of course... Um, kind of like, and again, you, I guess he kind of knew they were going to try and do something like this, but again, knowing they were going to try it and seeing them do it actually in person, I think was are, are two different things entirely. Of course, uh, Obi-Wan catching Vader right in the helmet with his lightsaber and you seeing Hayden Christensen, his face of the scarred Anakin Skywalker burned the, the crisp, burned to a crisp, the skin and so on. Uh, underneath the damaged Vader helmet and hearing the Vader voice come and go, the lights of the lightsaber, that was really cool. Um, And hearing the, again, much like in Rebels, seeing the kind of mix of Anakin's voice and Vader's voice, I gotta say, was bone chilling. Like, you'll never see Vader get punked like that ever again, essentially. The only time you see it happen is when Luke goes ham and he chops Vader's hands off in Return of the Jedi, right? But like beyond that, Vader never gets jobbed like that, and he does by Obi-Wan, and you can explain it away by being Obi-Wan is really in tune with the light side, and he can still can't get in tune with the dark side because he is still entire, he's, you know, he's not entirely letting go of his last 
you know, vestiges of, of, of his, 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 his hate for Obi-Wan and so on. But I, I thought the, the cool, the coolest thing about that fight and certainly was, was Hayden Christensen, first of all, smiling under the mask when he said, Oh, like, uh, I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. Uh, I, I, you did not kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. Right. So speaking as Vader, having killed Anakin Skywalker, which I think accomplishes two things, right? Accomplishes, first of all, uh, makes the whole from a certain point of view thing in the original trilogy make a lot more sense because Obi-Wan literally tells Luke that Darth Vader killed his father, Anakin Skywalker. He literally says that in a piece of dialogue. And I think, like, again, you can probably explain it away as, like, they, you know, maybe the whole trilogy hadn't been planned out. They weren't 100% sure where they were going to go. If they, if a sequel is where Star Wars were going to get made after 1977, because, you know, maybe prior to the movie getting made, did George Lucas know it was going to be a smash hit? Probably not. So, okay, that's like the real life explanation for that. But I think, again, thematically, it makes perfect sense, right? Obi-Wan, by the time we get to A New Hope, had completely given up hope on Vader. He had this and this confrontation, this encounter with Vader, and he saw that his friend, Anakin Skywalker, was truly dead. And again, to go back to that smile that Anakin gave Obi-Wan, that was bone-chilling. Like, I think also because whenever you see Vader's helmet, which kind of looks like a skull, I guess, right? I don't, I don't think you ever think that he's he has any facial expression you know what i mean like like what do you think vader was what what do you think his face looked like under that helmet when luke was getting electrocuted by the emperor like what do you think his face looked like when he was force choking the moth you know i find your lack of faith disturbing like honestly now you kind of kind of think he had like a shitty eating grin when he was when he was force choking that guy or when he was making his little quips to uh to the guy from rogue one right i, I just it, you never really think about that but i gotta say it was kind of scary kind of scary honestly to see Hayden Christensen smile like an absolute psychopath as uh, he said I killed Anakin Skywalker so again you you believe it right it made identity being a big thing for Vader and he does get redeemed at the end and and that being a thing that Luke could do and not Obi-Wan because of the of, of their past right I don't know I thought that was a very powerful moment maybe like honestly maybe one of the best individual moments the fight followed up by their little brief conversation Maybe in all of Star Wars. And again, I'm, I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment, recency bias type thing, but I got to say that like in terms of bridging the prequels, which I still think are bad, objectively bad movies, I genuinely think that. I probably will never think otherwise. But I got to say, I, I think that in terms of bridging the two stories, Deborah Chow did a fantastic job. I got to say, when he, when he says, Anakin says... Um, you did not kill Anakin Skywalker. He's his face is like lit up with the light from the blue lightsaber, and then he says, "I did," and his and his face is lit up with the red. Obviously, like using color to highlight the change from being a. I mean, he's not a Jedi, but using the color to highlight the change from what he's saying and making the connection from Anakin with the blue and Vader with the red. I thought that was really cool stuff, right? Very, very well done. And uh, Obi-Wan walking away and embracing his the, the new part of his life. Because remember, Obi-Wan basically had PTSD. This guy had PTSD for 10 years and lived in a cave and was sad, had a, had a really sad job, just lived a sad life, sad existence, and he just couldn't handle what he feels he had done to the galaxy. And I think when he comes... When, when you get to the end of Kenobi, he clearly no longer feels like that, or at least no longer entirely feels like that, right? It's, uh, it's signaled by him... Again, I mentioned him leaving his like sad little cave. The last shot of the cave is just him packing literally everything up, leaving that generator there and leaving completely. Because we know he goes to live like in a house or whatever, as we see in A New Hope. That's probably where he goes to live at the end of Kenobi. But 
I gotta say, it was just it just felt right to see one of the more hopeful characters in the entire series of Star Wars movies move on and be in a better place mentally. I gotta say him, again, I don't know if you'll ever, you ever get over quote-unquote PTSD, but at the same time, seeing Obi-Wan accept his new quote-unquote lot in life is something that was really, really cool, and I, I gotta say, I really appreciated that. Um, the Reva part of the storyline also coming to an end, and again, I guess it like mirrors the Vader thing. Um, she thought killing Luke Skywalker would bring her some semblance of peace Obviously, it doesn't, and she gets away. Um, it gets away in the sense that they don't kill her. So, I mean, I guess maybe there's going to be another another series with her. I don't know. I if that's the case, I'll probably look forward to that more than I ever would a series for uh, for I guess um, Cassie and Andor. It does kind of beg the question. I guess maybe maybe Reva will be in in Fallen Order. Maybe like you could. I could believe that, right? And she, she it's right around the same time frame, ten years after Revenge of the Sith, right? So if that's the case, then I think that would be kind of cool. And I wouldn't, as someone who I'm not a huge fan of Fallen Order, in the sense that I hate that you have to play as Cal. Like I wish, or not as Cal. I wish you could make Cal look like whatever you want, kind of like in Kotor, right? Like I, it always kind of bothered me that like in a in a a universe where you can be like literally anything, any, I'm sure there's like a zillion genders. You can be any skin color. You don't even have to be a human. You can be any weirdo alien that you want. They make you play as a white redhead dude. Like, <laughs> come on. You know what I mean? Give me a break. Let me like, they could have kept the voice exactly the same. Just may, maybe kind of like mass effect, right? You get one voice character, one voiced person for the, uh, the male, one voice for the female. And then you just have, you can pick from like, eight different humanoid races. I just, I can't believe they made you be like a white ginger guy, right? I don't know. It just kind of, kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. I want to make my Calcasus look like whoever I want. I want to make him look like a funky alien. Anyways, get out the Fallen Order soap, soapbox. Uh, but uh, the the Riva storyline, again, realizing that vengeance isn't the way and that maybe she needs to find another way, literally, literally dropping her Inquisitor lightsaber to the sand and leaving it there. I think it was a good place to end it for her. Again, I, was she my favorite character? No, your favorite character is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he, I mean, like, in the end, I think uh, the character played by uh, Kumail Nanjiani ended up being a, a, better, a better character than Riva, not because I thought it was bad. It just kind of felt like her story was ended when she tried to attack Vader and failed. That's kind of like this kind of just felt a little tacked on to me. I I didn't mind it by any means, but I I think her conversation with Obi-Wan through the door when she blames Obi-Wan for not being there when Anakin was killing all of the other younglings and then her attacking Vader and Vader just toying with her the entire time, knowing that she was a youngling as well and the the, the Grand Inquisitor coming back and kind of like talking some smack to her, that felt like the natural conclusion to her story. So it just kind of felt like leaving it open for, for leaving it open's sake, essentially just to get, you know... Like to say, hey, want to have a Disney Plus story with Riva? Maybe you can, right? That's that's kind of why I think I like the way her story ended in Episode Five versus Episode Six of this Kenobi series. But I mean, again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna quibble too too much because in the end, it was fine. Um, I gotta say, as a side note to that whole that whole process, um, Amperu was like locked up, eh? I mean, that that woman was ready. Like she, Owen is like, what are you doing, Baru? And she like takes out a, a moves a plant, moves like a piece of like rock or something, and then she just pulls out like a couple of guns. Like, good, good God, woman! I I almost felt like it was they were kind of wasting Owen and Baru, but 
in the end, they ended up having some some pretty cool moments. Brew with the uh, the action shots there, and and taking taking it to uh, to Riva at some points. Owen as well, and um, and then Owen being the being the good guy and letting uh, letting Ben slash Obi Wan meet um, uh, meet Luke as a young kid. And I gotta say, uh, Obi Wan's first words to Luke Skywalker being "Hello there." is legendary right i was kind of thought they would resist doing the meme type stuff but i mean like he he did it and not only that i almost feel like ewan mcgregor went out of his way to make himself sound like alec guinness as much as humanly possible maybe this was more of that whole re-speaker stuff like they did for hayden christensen slash james earl jones's voice maybe that's what they did right i don't know but it, it just it sounded almost like a conscious effort to make him sound like alec guinness like hello there right <laughs> whatever either way it was very very good and i love that uh uh, Luke did get to meet Obi-Wan as a young man um, because it just seems right, right? It just seems right. And again, it, it kind of makes sense that Luke would then know of Obi-Wan's exploits and kind of have a passing familiarity with him when he gets to be an adult. And again, I guess it also kind of shows you the, their ages, right? And we'll talk about Luke, Leia in a second, but when you think about their ages, Luke is what, like, he, I guess he's supposed to be 10 because they say Leia is 10 years old. So that means Luke is also 10 years old because they're born at the exact same time. And then we're 10 years out from the events of A New Hope, which makes them both 20 years old. So that get, that means by the time we get to the end of Return of the Jedi, they're probably like, what, 21, 22, thereabouts? Because some, some time has passed. So I uh, I like that that kind of put a, a more concrete timeline on their ages because I, I always kind of figured they were like, between 18 and 21 during the events of the original trilogy, but I was never like 100% certain without going and checking all the calendars and so on that they have the beginnings of all the expanded universe novels, like even the new ones in canon expanded universe novels. But either way, I thought that was a, that was a pretty cool moment. And then, of course, the Leia storyline coming to an end. I guess, look, I, I, I know people had their problems with the actress who played Leia. She's a little kid. I thought they did a good job. It seemed so appropriate that they give the holster from Indira Varma's character to Leia, and then she puts her droid in it, like like a little gun. Like that was the most, like honestly, that was the cutest moment of the entire show because it's like, what else are you gonna put in there? A gun, right? But she puts her little like flying Lola droid in there, which seemed um, which seemed very appropriate. And uh, and then she says her goodbyes to uh, to Obi Wan, which I guess implies they never meet each other again until the events of A New Hope. And, and I mean, again, they didn't exactly meet because he dies on the Death Star. And they they see they like see him from afar as they're getting to the Falcon. He gives himself up. Vader kills him, and he stamps on the robes and so on. Um, I guess it does kind of lend some more. Not like it's it's not weight necessarily, but it does lend some more. Oh, okay, I get it. To the idea that they would name their kid Ben, because of course Han Solo has some. Uh, some some passing familiarity with Obi-Wan. Again, he didn't know him that long, but Obi-Wan is the guy who hired him to fly from Tatooine to the Death Star in the first place, well, to Alderaan, but the Death Star in the first place. And uh, Leia has this memory of him, not just of knowing, like, his, serving his her father in the Clone Wars, as she says in the message with R2, R2 but also... She had this adventure with him when she was 10 years old, right? So she remembers him fondly. Han probably knows that he had a big influence on her life. So anyways, I just thought that was a nice kind of full circle moment for the character of uh, of Obi-Wan Kenobi in this. Um, the last thing on this that I'll, I'll talk about before we get out of here, I got to say is Qui-Gon, right? I was kind of thinking as the series went on, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. We're not going to hear Qui-Gon. We're not going to hear Qui-Gon. And then at the very end we see Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon I gotta say 
got a little misty-eyed. I, I think my personal favorite of the prequels, despite the fact that I don't think it's a very good movie, film, even Star Wars movie, I do think that Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi's partnership in that movie are the best part of the movie, and they two together, Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor, are the two best parts of the prequels overall, right? And so I was kind of thinking we would never see Qui-Gon again, but um, hey, it was really cool to see him in this, and it does kind of lead me to think that if there is a season two, and there very well could be a season two of of Kenobi, and I really hope there is, uh, it would, like, they could easily make Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon a full-on character, right? Like, they could easily make him a full-on character. They could easily make Yoda a character in that. Like, they could really continue to bridge the gap between the prequels and the original trilogy because, again, as I said before, I thought they did a really good job with this. And having Obi-Wan speak to Qui-Gon at the end of this show, I think, was was a fitting way to cap things. Um, and it just ma- it makes you feel... Like, good, I guess, inside. It makes you feel happy for Obi-Wan and that there is some hope. Again, makes sense, considering the next movie in the timeline is A New Hope, <laughs> right? So, um, and again, like, Obi-Wan talking to Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon telling him that he was not ready to see him just yet because of he hadn't let go of his anger and his sadness towards what he felt like he had done to Anakin in the past. Uh, again, thematically, full circle, and it's something I really liked. So I think that was a, a very poignant way and the Kenobi series. But again, I, I hey, look, I really liked it. I loved it. I, I, I would watch it again. I will say, last thing, don't watch it during the day. Don't watch this final piece of uh, piece of of the series, like this final episode. Don't watch it during the day like I did. That's kind of part of the reason why I'm doing this episode a couple days later. I didn't have time to watch, like, to do the episode, podcast episode right away. And I also didn't want to because I watched it when it came out. And, like, most of the Vader fight and, like, almost everything that happens on Tatooine with Reva at night is impossible to see. Like, even with, with even, like... A teensy bit of light on the screen. I could barely see what, ha- what was happening. Like I had to actually go back and rewatch the episode at nighttime because I legitimately, with my high definition 4K TV, which I'm very lucky to have, I could not see Jack in the, during the day. Right? Like I, 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 it's a sign that you're you're doing something wrong there. Right? There were some episodes of Game of Thrones that did that too, and it really pissed me off. And it was annoying that it did that for Star Wars because I felt like I almost felt like they were wasting my time a little bit. Right? So, anyways. That's a bit of a, a soapbox that has nothing to do with the actual the actual show and everything to do with uh, me just warning you, do not watch this during the day. Maybe I should have said this at the beginning of the episode rather than at the, at the end here, but what are you going to do? But still, uh, a fantastic way to end this uh, six-part limited series. And again, I hope even though it's a limited series, we get more because Kenobi season one, at least, was uh, very, very good. That does it here on the Showtime Movie Podcast, the finale of our Kenobi casts, breaking down what happens on the various episodes of the Obi-Wan Kenobi Star Wars Disney Plus TV show. I don't know that it's going to become a habit, right? Like, could I do it for Miss Marvel? Sure. Could I do it for the Cassian Andor show? show? Sure. Maybe I'll do it for The Mandalorian Season 3, but that's not coming out until 2023. So, you know, I think we're, we're well a ways away from having to do that. But, uh, but yeah, I just, you know, something a little different. And uh, just something I, I love Star Wars so much. It's been such an important part of my life. So I, uh, I'm willing to go a little bit outside the box for it. But uh, yeah, ne- the next episode you hear on this podcast feed will likely be the uh, the next episode of movie reviews, right? I did see Top Gun Maverick and uh, Jurassic World Dominion at this point. Um, I still got to do the reviews for the bad guys and the Chip and Dale movie just as from an animated perspective as well. And I have, I still haven't seen everything everywhere all at once with Michelle Yeoh. So that's probably coming up. I'll probably go to the theaters and see that in the next couple of weeks during the day. So 
you know, there's still a lot, there's a couple movies coming uh, coming down the pipeline, but uh, I'm glad we got to do this little experiment, let's call it, with the uh, with the Kenobi TV show. But uh, again, thanks for listening. And uh, again, you can get all your movie review needs right here on the Showtime movie podcast feed. Again, thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you. I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did.